Hello, friends. This is Darren Hayes of PigskinDispatch.com. Before we take you to your favorite Sports History Network show, just want to tell you a little bit about some merch that you can pick up that represents your favorite SHN podcast. So far, there's t-shirts, coffee mugs, and even books from some of the authors that do podcasts right here on SHN. Who could buy something better than that than have the history right from the, the gentleman that you hear talking about it? But we also are adding things each and every day. And where's that store, may you ask? Well, it's at SportsHistoryNetwork.com. Up at the top, there is the SHN merch button click on that it'll take you right to the store and you can be representing your favorite podcast and show the world that hey on the swag that i'm using it's the headquarters of sports yesteryear sports history network and my favorite podcaster the sports history network store shop there today blog talk radio back in time the seasons past when 22 men graced the rugged fields of yesterday fighting for one more first down one more yard gain one final score that would bring victory after 60 minutes of battle on the gridiron tonight we'll explore the world of gridiron grace welcome to gridiron grace football <laughs> the gridiron grace publishing and broadcasting network we're live from the Southport, North Carolina home of Gridiron Greats Magazine. And I'm Bob Swick, publisher and editor of Gridiron Greats Magazine, and I'll be your host for the show. Gridiron Greats is the only publication in America that focuses upon the history and memorabilia of the North American football game since its inception in 1869. We cover 150-plus years of football history and memorabilia. You can find us on the web at Gridiron Greats Magazine. At this time, I'd like to my co-host. He's a senior contributing writer to Gridiron Greats Magazine, a football memorabilia historian, specializing in pre-World War II items, in particular Red Grange, and also Seattle Seahawks items, in particular Steve Largent. We have from Portland, Oregon, Mr. Chuck Burton. Welcome to the show. Bob, so great to be back. I'm excited. I'm, uh, I'm excited. It's been a couple of weeks since we've uh, we've had a show. It's great to be back. We're back, and uh, we're we're getting into some heavy duty business on what we're going to talk about tonight. And uh, before we get into our uh, special topic, we've got a few tidbits to look at. First of all, congratulations goes out to the. Chicago slash St. Louis 
slash Los Angeles slash New Los Angeles Rams <laughs> for winning Super Bowl, the 56th Super Bowl I've actually watched on TV since I was a wee toddler. And uh, also, just one general comment I was going to make, and I will make it. I knew from the start the Rams were predestined to win the Super Bowl somehow, somewhere, in the last two minutes of the game. And my prediction came true. But anyways, uh, it was a pretty good game. Pretty good game. And I believe yeah, they kind of had that swagger time. this year. Definitely, definitely, definitely. Uh, I'm a big fan of head coach Zach Taylor because uh, yeah. he has a, a great pedigree to him. His father-in-law is Mike yep. Sherman, the former head coach of the Green Bay Packers, a individual who played football for Central Connecticut State college at the time at the same time i was attending and covering games for southern connecticut state college which was in new haven connecticut he was in new britain connecticut many years later i um wrote to him when he became a packer coach i did mention our very very limited connection knowing darn well he had no clue who i was but he did say he did did remember uh, playing Southern during his college career. He was actually a very good college player, and uh, he had, in my opinion, uh, a lot of different types of success over the years in his uh, coaching career. Uh, he apparently retired to Cape Cod, and he coached the high school football team there for several years. And I believe, if I am correct in my assumption, he's 66 or 67 now. He's, a, he's several years older than me, but uh, good guy. And I was happy for Zach. I liked, I liked, and I, and I said this to a few people after the game, that Taylor was pretty much totally emotionless on the side of the field, on his side of the field. And to me, the essence of a good coach is someone who, in a lot of ways, doesn't show emotion, doesn't berate players, so on and so forth. And I think he'll win the big one down the road. I think he's got a great career in front of him. That's my Absolutely. my uh, my opinion the, of the game. The, ben- the Bengals won some really, really tough away games. I mean, when you're beating Kansas City, Patrick Mahomes at home, you know, who just came off winning one of the greatest, you know, playoff games we've ever seen against the Buffalo Bills. I mean, maybe, maybe the Kansas City Chiefs spent all the energy they had wrapping up the bills and, uh, you know, thought the the Bengals would be a cakewalk, but they underestimated. Uh, so, I mean, yep. tip of the hat to the Bengals. They, they, they won a very tough away game. So did the Rams. I mean, yep. you know, yep. it, it wasn't an easy, an easy trek for either of these teams. Um, and I, I, I've always dug, you know, wild card teams, uh, you know, or just, you know, teams have to battle through the divisional rounds. Don't get the buys. Neither of these teams got the buy the number one seed in, you know, both conferences got got bounced, and uh, right. pretty interesting. But but man, the Rams had some swagger. It's good to see Aaron Donald win a ring. Uh, yep. You know, it's yep. good to see Matthew right. Stafford win a ring. There's certain people who deserve a ring. You know, right? Stafford, I really believe, uh, 
uh, is a class act. He's a, he's a good guy. He's, he's good for the community. He did a lot in Detroit and the Detroit community while yeah. he was there. He never gave up on the Lions, and I, I really yeah. believe. And I and I and I, I know I said this. I know I said this on the show over the years, way back when. If he was on a better team, I really think he could go all the way and win. And it was and it's been proven because he's a he's a good quarterback. Good quarterback under pressure. Uh, he had some really good receivers. He was working with with the Rams, and he you know he showed what he could do, and, the, and that was a good thing. That's a good thing. And Detroit, unfortunately, is still Detroit. It's just a just a mess over there. I don't, they just can't get their act together. It's uh, it's amazing, truly amazing. Yeah, you know to go go over over six, almost seventy years of victories, and what, what's it thirty years since it's been in the playoffs? I mean, come on, it's yeah. pathetic. It really is. You know? But anyway, there are some teams that can't seem to. Uh, I thought the Browns were going to do the good this year. I don't know. There's just some teams that. Can't get it together. Yep. I thought the Seahawks were that team for a long time because it had just, yep. Yep. I mean, flashes of greatness. 2005 Seahawks loss in a Super Bowl to the to the Steelers. Um, I would call it referee game, ref gate. <laughs> I, no, I'm kidding. Yeah, yeah. And just you realize how hard it is to get there. I mean, just that yep. is a climb to make it to the Super Bowl. You know, you know, it, it, it is hard enough to win one. I mean, all the you know, you have right. to win in free agency, you have to win in contracts, you have salary caps, you have injuries, everything that it takes to get there. One injury of a quarterback somewhere during the playoff run, and, you, and it doesn't matter how good your team was, you're, you're hitting the reset button. Uh, so, right. yeah. And that's why, and that's why it's critical in the NFL today, and I've been saying this for a long time, you're back up quarterback. You need to go back to the um, Unitas Oil Moral set up or the yeah. Mark Star Zeke Bratkowski set up where your number two quarterback doesn't look delusional when he walks on the field and, and just <laughs> staring at the coach to try to get the play calls. You need to walk in with confidence and you need to take over the team and you need to continue yeah. the drive or whatever is going on and you need to win the game. It's simple. And there's not enough emphasis, in my opinion, with the, with the, with the exception of a, a couple teams only that the number two quarterback can walk on a field, take over a game, and win a game for um, a team, unlike not being patterned whatsoever by Unitas Moral, for example, or the um, – I, I use Star Bratkowski. You know, there's several others down the, over the years, but it's just not there today. I really don't see it. You know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I just don't see it. You know, I don't – I don't have a lot of confidence when Jordan Love goes on the field if Rodgers goes down. And I, I, don't, I have even less confidence now if Roger, Rodgers leads and he takes over the number one spot. We are, you know, we're, we're going to be stepping back in time there, you know. So, yeah, it would be point. interesting to see what happens. Yeah. Think, think about the GM of the Rams who made that trade to bring Stafford and, you know, bring in Odell Beckham Jr., uh, you know, drafting, you know, to get cut. I mean, just, you know, what they gave away to get Stafford. And if you, you know, and the old, the, you know, they do that to win a Super Bowl. Anything less than that. Yep. And there's a possibility some heads are on the chopping block because you give away a couple first-round oh, yeah. draft choices and that. I mean, that's a, that's a gamble, and it's a gamble that paid off. 
So I, I like it. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And if Rogers comes back for one year, my biggest fear is there's going to be a huge giveaway in Green Bay to supposedly give him everything he needs and uh, or coach there everything he needs to win the Super Bowl because there will definitely be if, if Rogers plays his last season. But I use the example, I've talked about this before, deer in the he- headlights look. Mike McCarthy was well known for the deer in the headlights look at a yeah. game where yeah. he, it seems like he, he lost touch with what was going on on the, on the field. And I saw it with uh, the last game, looking at what was going on with special teams, uh, looking what was going on with Rodgers, who just looked totally disinterested on the field, that he didn't want to be there. But to have your special teams fail in the biggest game of the year you're playing, that's no excuse. Okay, so now, now you're actually spending money for assistant coaches again because you realize you, you blew a chance to go to the Super Bowl with your last game because you're, you know, you, you, you young up, up and coming guy to be your special teams coach because you don't want to pay him any money. Well, it costs, you, you know what I mean? So, uh, again, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing on the green Bay sideline, I hate to say it, that deer in the headlight look and the gosh, gee, what did I do wrong? Why, why, why is nothing clicking? <laughs> man, oh man, I, I, I could, I could have called a better game than, uh, than what he calls for crowd. That's got to be aggravating. I remember there's a couple times that, you know, uh, watching McCarthy, you know, just on the sidelines, just as you know, everything's falling apart, just kind of standing there. Yeah. And I remember I'm, I'm like, oh, my gosh, you know, get riled up, get, you know, get excited. And I'm like, that's got to be aggravating as a, you know, as, as a super fan like you are, where it's just, you know, it, it's kind of, it's, I don't know, I'm, I, I want to, I want to see my superstar on the sideline. It's kind of like when, you know, uh, a quarterback throws an interception, then goes over to the sideline and sits there and looks at the you know Microsoft pad. Um, you know what? Yeah. You know, I, I want the I want the quarterback on the sideline. You come on, guys! You're rooting on his defense. You know, yeah. I, I, I want him to be yeah. the biggest cheerleader. You know, of the other side. Yeah. You know, slapping butts as they're yeah. coming off the sidelines. Nice job. Nice. You know, just whatever. Uh, so that uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I think that pumps people up, and I think it, it whittles down from the coach as well. Uh, I wasn't yeah. a fan when Pete Carroll got got hired as the head coach of the Seahawks, but I, I got to say that guy is excitable. He, he you know he uh, yeah. he's excitable. He pumps up the players. To me, Lafleur is trying to be too in a way. His his youth is a, is an advantage and a disadvantage in a way because to me that last game was and every playoff game literally he's been in, he's made a lot of serious mistakes coaching. And, okay, you're a great regular season coach, but you're not going to take it to the next level. That's the way you're always going to be known. You know what I mean? And yeah. if, if, the Packers, if the Packers weren't a publicly owned team and they didn't have the conglomerate to make the decisions as far as coaching and stuff, uh, I, I got a feeling he would be, you know, called in the office after the game the next day and say, listen, Next year, it's it's all or nothing, or you're out of here. It's yeah, not to put the pressure yeah. on you, but um, we're not going to accept it like that, you know. But is what it is, and that's a, you know nothing I can do about it. And I find great irony we're talking about it because uh, this is the actual first show from the new compound here in Southport, North Carolina. Oh, and I'm in, I'm in my 
I'm in my quasi um, non-decorated man cave up here. Uh, I have all my <laughs> furniture on order. I have one bookcase that came in, so I got the run out. Actually, gotta, I got to take a picture of it and send it out. But I have. Yeah. I'm looking at right. I'm looking at right now over a thousand media guides, hard and soft cover books, publications, Gosh. programs, Packer stuff galore, sitting on the floor, on chairs and the like. And I have a little uh, <laughs> closet room, which is literally filled with uh, cards everywhere. And the the one thing I I felt good the past that we're in this is going on our third week we're we're in the house. And it's taken me a good two weeks just to unpack my stuff. It, it was so nice seeing those stuff again. Um, and, again, jogging my memory of stuff I even forgot I had type of thing. So it's been a, it's been a nice transition down here to get in. I'll, I'll be happy, though, when the two uh, major bookcases get delivered and get, get put up and uh, I can get my stuff on the wall again and a lot of that nice. stuff's put away. <clears throat> so. It's got to be cool to finally – and it's so to me, it's so therapeutic to uh, you know unpack that stuff. I, like I love going downstairs, my you know you know man cave, just kind of you know sifting through it every once in a while. Yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's got to be cool because you got a chance uh, to sift through it. You, you got a chance to sift through at, it before leaving Wallingford, and now here you have another chance yeah. to sift through and organize. You know, in in the new compound. Yeah, and and it's to me. The stuff I got rid of back in Connecticut was annoying. I mean, I know I, I, I basically got rid of well over 500 publications while I was in uh, Wallingford packing because I didn't want to take it down, and they were not football-related. And so I got a buddy of mine there who deals on the – he's a dealer on the side, and I gave them to him, and, and like, he was just in shock to see what I had. He couldn't believe how much stuff I had accumulated over the years because he really didn't see the – the depth of it. But, you know, I always said I wanted to establish a, a nice football library, which is what I have here. And yeah. uh, I just want to be fo- football only, with the exception of the handful of baseball items that I have from games I attended over the years and family and friends, if they were playing or whatever type of thing. But it's nice to go through everything. And speaking of that, um, we got the new issue out, issue 75 yeah. of Red Iron Greats magazine. Uh, got a a lot of nice compliments from individuals on it. I got to say, Jared Krause did a or a great yeah. job on the front cover. It's a really cool cover. And I, um, I love Mason Jared Krause. It, he is he is not only a nice guy but a great artist. Yeah, in, incredible stuff. I and uh, he's actually hand drawn a lot of stuff for me, uh, which I have in frames of Packer players. And uh, he did a he did a nice poster of. Um, Forrest Gregg, and uh, he had Coach yeah. sign it uh, to me before he passed away. So that's a that's a mm-hmm. real nice piece I got to hang up here. But it, it was a good issue. I, I was happy with it. And literally for the next when, year, uh, uh, when uh, I was a super collector, uh, Jared sketched Steve Largent, um, you know, for right. the for the cover. And then he mailed yeah. me the, you know, the painting that he'd done for it. And it hangs proudly in my office, my Jared Krause original. Uh, two really good articles in the 75. Congratulations, Bob, by the way. Uh, you know, I don't think a lot of people, you know, give you the credit you deserve being the publisher of Gridiron Greats, but that, that is the, you know, that is the hobby magazine. Uh, I love it. It's always exciting. 
to get it that I, I loved the design and I was I was I really liked looking at the uh, you know at the covers that were behind the silhouette of the seventy five on the front and that was a trip down memory lane. Uh, yep. I sent yep. it to you, but Definitely. like uh, a year ago during the pandemic, I went and cataloged every single gridiron grade and uh, and then <laughs> you know put notes about what articles were in there. I think I sent that Excel spreadsheet to you, but because there, there's times yep. I'm like, oh, I, I remember that article. What episode or you know what what magazine is that in? Uh, it was funny, but yep. two really good articles in here. Your super collector, um, Michael uh, Mason Holder. Yep. I love his museum. Yep. That was really cool. I, just, yep. I love seeing passionate yep. collectors. Um, and yep. uh, and then the high school ballot. I really loved Kerry uh, Lavin, you know, his, uh, you know, his pre-Heisman, who would have won. Uh, and I like seeing a nod Correct. to, you know, to uh, Red Grange uh, getting mm-hmm. it. He thinks he would have won in 23 and 24. I don't know about 23, but I'm pretty sure 24 would have been him. I would agree with that. But just really cool the way he, he broke that down and good thought process. Loved it. Yeah, yeah, and I, I tell you, I really, I hope one day when everything settles down, I can can make the infamous West Coast trip, uh, Blaisdell, Mike Blaisdell up in Washington, then you <laughs> down in uh, Oregon, and then uh, see the niece in California, and then hit uh, the museum and hit Tobias, and hopefully all work for lunch, and then uh, head back home. So. I'm, I'm hoping over the next couple of years things settle down and uh, we can get out there, so that'll be cool. But, you know, to me, every issue, you know, looking at these super collectors is just like it's just like walking into a museum, I mean, to look at this stuff. It's just incredible. Yeah. It's really incredible. Yeah. It's so nice to no, it's so nice to view, and I've been very, very fortunate and blessed over the years to, to actually see in person some collections that I, I am, to me, are Hall of Fame worthy. You know, they're like their own their own Hall of Fame they go to every day, just walking into their man cave museum and so on and so forth. It's just it just amazes me, truly amazes me. The passion in this hobby, the football collecting card and memorabilia hobby, the passion that collectors have, I think is well beyond uh, I'll go out on the limb. It's beyond any other sports collectible. That's my honest opinion. I know I'm gonna get beat up by the baseball guys on it, but I, I just really feel it because it's a limited collectible. There's only X amount of games of yes. a football season. It's not 162 games. It's not 154 games. It's basically, if you go all the way, it's going to be uh, now 20 games. Uh, if not, in the old days, it was basically 16 games or 14 games or 13 games. But, man, oh, man, the passion that and it's exhibited and the completeness of some of these collections for – for teams that are relatively new, meaning AFL teams from 1960 on and so forth, it's just incredible. It's just truly incredible. Greg Tratner is yep. an exact, excellent example. Uh, the man is Buffalo Bills history. He is Buffalo Bills memorabilia and just an incredible, incredible collection. He's just one example of numerous examples I can give. It's just amazing, truly amazing to me. So, yeah. Thank you for the compliment. And as we speak, I, I'm basically putting the roughs together for issue 76. We've got, we got a big issue coming out in 76. A lot of articles, a lot of information. And uh, my senior contributing writer, my co-host, uh, I, will not, I'm not, I will not spill it yet, but has written a, <laughs> a very, very informative, interesting, and uh, dynamic piece uh, on a very uh, – 
rare set, in my opinion, because I've, I've never seen one in all the years of all the shows I've been to, and I realize uh, it's more West Coast-focused, but yeah. I've never seen one in person. So pretty cool. Pretty cool. And I'll leave it at that. And I forgot to tell you. And I forgot to mention in that, Bob, I need to give a, uh, you know, an assist in that article when you're doing the credits to Mike Blaisdell, because he, uh, he sent okay. me some of the notes he had on the article. I, I forgot to mention that when I emailed okay. it off to you, but I liked it too. That was a long time coming. I'm working on another, uh, working on another article right now. I, 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 I'm sure it's like household projects, you know, around the house. I tend to start something and uh, have a hard time wrapping up, but Terry Lavin's not going to like this, but I'm working on an article called the, uh, insignificance of the Heisman Trophy in modern times. <laughs> uh, yeah, so well, I'm going to... I, I hate to say it, I, you know, I agree with you to a certain degree. The Heisman is just not like it used to be, that's for sure. So, not uh, like it used to be. It is what it is. That's, what, um, that's, that, that's well, tonight, what I began to notice. So, oh well. Tonight... Tonight we're gonna to, we're gonna talk about something special tonight. Um, it's been a conversation on VFC, and it's a topic of conversation with some hardcore uh, football card and yeah. memorabilia collectors. And it's the infamous 1935 National Chickle set of 36 cards, and mm-hmm. it's a set that I, in reviewing my notes, and since I'm I'm happy I got old books and whatever, I'm looking right now at my Beckett. Um, big All-American, Sport Americana, uh, football, hockey, basketball, and boxing card price guide, number six, which I still use. And I have my original notes on my 35 chickle stuff, the first time I ever put it together. And I know I, I mentioned this before, back in June of 1988, in the Milford, Connecticut card show, I bought my first national chickle, which was a nineteen, uh, which was card number seven, Ken Strong from the Giants, and X. I graded it X near mint condition, and I paid, oh. believe it or not, a whopping, a whopping, and I still distinctly remember it was the most I ever paid for a card up until that point. I paid twenty five dollars for the card, and I had to justify it in my own. I had to justify it in my mind back then, thirty thirty four years ago. That uh, it's an old card. I, it's the first time I ever saw a chickle at a show, especially at a local show. And I said, I gotta, I gotta at least have one, and and let, let me, let me buy it, and let me, uh, you know, look at it, study it, and see what I'm gonna do with it. So, over the period up until I believe it was 2016 or 18, I, I gotta double check it. I put, started to put together the set and ended up selling what I had in the set three different occasions. The last time being uh, my most advanced level of chickles that I had, because I had some of the high numbers. Um, I didn't and wasn't excited about some of the high numbers because they were graded. And being a purist, I said, I got to make a decision here. And I I don't want to, I don't want to collect the the high numbers in Uh flat. So, let, let me just sell them off and let me try to recollect it again one more time. So at this point right now, I'm leaning toward trying to just put together the three Packers uh, in the set, which are t- cards 24, 32, and 33. 32 and 33 being high numbers, being very difficult to find. In all the times I put the set together, the only time I ever had one Packer card was card number 24, and that was the last time I had it. 
had put it together, oh. and it was basically in a, in fair, good condition. And I never, I, again, my Ken Strong card over the years was actually the, the, the best graded card I ever had. And I sold that one very early on. Uh, I did make money on it because I did sell it for a whopping, a whopping $60. So I did make it. <laughs> what uh, year was that? 30, $35 on that, on that transaction. So, uh, but anyway, so that's my background on the, on the Chickles, um break set. And like I said, I think I'm just going to pursue three raw, less, lesser grade Packer cards uh, to put into my Packer collection and not be overly concerned about putting the whole set together for the simple reason there was some incredible pricing, which I thought was going to go a lot higher. Recently on a PSA graded number one, uh, Nagurski card. And Joe, I'll hand off to you now. Um, give us a little background on that card and, and what happened. Uh, just more recently on eBay, a PSA one Nagurski sold for the whopping <clears throat> price of $7,400. And one cent. I don't know where that one cent came from, but I, I love that. I, I was <laughs> cracking up yeah. as, uh, as I saw that. Um, but I think that's a record for a PSA one. That very nice looking example. It's got got some wrinkles on it. Looks like it was yep. folded in half and then folded again into force. But none of yep. the wrinkles break the surface. None of it detracts. You take, um, if you take a you know step back from about three feet, it, it looks good. It's centered. The corners look good. Yep. If this wasn't creased, this would be a you know PSA six. So I mean, it's a good looking card. I, I, you know, the pessimist in me says you know very high price because somebody bought it to try and see if they could soak that out. But you know, it, once you fold a card in half like that, that, that I'm sorry, the cardboard's broken. That's not getting soaked out. Right. But right. Right. It's beautiful. I appeal. Great example. Seven thousand four hundred dollars and one cent. Don't forget the one cent, Captain. Uh, right, uh, but right. a record. If we're breaking, I go well over ten thousand. But I was I was mistaken. Oh, really? I was kind of surprised about. That. Yeah, I really thought because it was affordable, and uh, like you said, and looking, I'm looking at it right now again. It, it is a nice looking card. You know, and you yep. and you got some history with the card because you got all the creases in it, so it's pretty cool in my opinion. Yep. But again, it's uh, you know, I think seventy four hundred is a good a good price for it. So that's good. Yep, they're they're starting to get there. Um, love of the game, uh, Al Crisofoli, who we had on the show a little while back. Um, I I I uh, consigned my PSA two Nagurski to him recently, or uh, in his last auction, and it sold for twelve thousand. Uh, so you have a seven seventy four hundred at twelve thousand. My PSA two is similar, very nicely centered, great quarters, and a little bit of uh, a little bit of uh, surface loss under Bronco's, you know, right hand, his thumbs up as you're looking at it. Uh, right, and uh, but you know, good looking card. I tried to get it bumped a few times. I took it to the national. I had Scott Alpaw put his discerning eye to it. He looked at it and said, "PSA two max." And I said, "Okay, uh, won't even bother submitting this." And I walked it over to Al and said, "Please put this in your next auction." So, uh, yeah, yeah. So I am currently Nagurski less, if that's a word, Bob. Uh, so I need to Ooh. need to get me a Bronco. Oh, yeah. Well, 
while we're talking about the chickles, you also need some uncut sheets from the 35 chickle set for your collection. Oh. So uh, <laughs> we're going to put that. We're going to we're going to put that out again if anyone has it or knows someone who wants to sell it. Contact either Joe or me, or contact me through the magazine, and you know, we'll we'll coordinate everything for you, and we'll help you help you with the sale. So, uh, uh, but anyway, gentlemen, uh, you're a gentleman. I appreciate the uh, <laughs> I appreciate the plug. You are a gentleman, sir. <laughs> you're but, um, yeah, Chickles. I just uh, you know this is uh, you know the 35 Chickle was the you know first. And I'm gonna. I'm doing some air quotes here. It was the first nationally released set to only have football players. Okay, so we right. have Pottsville Maroons, you know, but that was a regional, and it's a postcard. You know, we've got the Mayo set that was college. You know, so this is a nationally released set to have professional football players. Uh, you know, you can, you know, you can throw in. I mean, there, there's a lot of little. Set, you know, Rogers, Pete, et cetera. I mean, um, you know, uh, but these were, those were sets that had all players in them. This is the, a right. football right. only nationally released set. There was, you know, uh, not by the national chickle company who's out of Cambridge, mass. If you flip the cards over, um, you know, they, uh, you know, if you, if you flip the cards over, they, uh, uh, there's a description where it's, uh, you know, the National Chickle Company, Cambridge, Mass., U.S. of A., which I have always loved. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it uh, contains 36 cards, even though on the flippo, on the back side of it, it says one of 240 players with playing tips. Uh, they stopped at 36. And that is the mystery that will remain forever. Was that a lost leader to you know, to keep kids buying these, or did they intend to put out 240 players and it wasn't well, well received and uh, they stopped at 36? Uh, you know, who knows? Uh, yeah, I don't know. You know your thoughts yep. on that? Well, we talked about this a couple of times in the past. Number one, we're, we're in the Depression. Um, the signs of war for World War II were beginning in Europe. So, it could have been an economic decision on the part of uh, the National Chickle Company and say, okay, like you said and we said in the past, it wasn't, maybe it wasn't well received as far as being purchased in the stores. So they said they decided to stop it. Could it have been marketing to try to get people to buy more? Well, yes and no, because after a while, if you're getting all the same cards, 1 to 24 all the time, there's no That's way you're going to get 240. Or could have been a typo, would have been one of 24 cards in the set. And I always thought about this. They made a typo, and they just kept the typo, and nobody checked it. And or were there actually 240 players that were gonna, they were going to sign contracts to to get their image to, to do the cards with? That's kind of a push, too. I mean, think well, about it. You know, 1935, unless you added college players, you really had a tough time yeah. coming up with, you know, I mean, I could take a handful of people that should have, you know, been in the set, Grange being one of them. I, I really, I don't know. I don't know what the mystery, you know, how the mystery can be solved other than it's a combination of factors. It's a typo. Who knows? You know, unfortunately, we'll never know what, what, what the real answer is. Grange retired. And just a little bit of math here. 
um, you know, at the time, you know, the 35 Chickle was set up, there were only eight NFL teams. Uh, right. So, right. you know, so, so 240 divided by eight would be 30 players per NFL franchise. So right. uh, uh, Doug Spanning, who also did a yeah, I mean, you, you would be hard-pressed to get 30, 30 yeah. actual different players from each team, you know, without, yeah. and then you would have uh, that all, all the college people. So. Yeah, Doug Spanning had done an article on the Eddie Casey signatures and the variations in the back. And in there, uh, he, you know, he touched on that same thing that I was thinking, you know, because, uh, you know, when I was digging into this, you know, for today's show, it's like, well, how many teams, how many players? And he found the same. There were 31 players on the Packers in 1935. Uh, so most teams had between 30 and 35 players. So you'd be talking about every single player on all eight NFL teams getting a 35 chickle card. So uh, yes. there's only two players who aren't pros. And as we're running down the checklist, Newt Rockney, obviously a college coach, uh, very sure. popular. He's, he's the only college player. The Bronco Nagurski, oddly enough, has him in a Minnesota with a Minnesota banner in the back, but it mentions that he's a Chicago player on the, on the, on the obverse on the flip side. So obviously he's, uh, uh, you know, obviously he was a professional at the time he was playing for the bears, but, uh, but it, you know, kind of, kind of interesting that they have the, uh, you know, that they have the uh, Minnesota banner. Um, but yeah. other than that, these are all professionals. Uh, you know, it's uh, yeah, pretty interesting. It, it, it's, I mean, what, I, in other words, I think the 240 was a ploy to get people to okay. ch- chase a checklist because, or, or maybe they were going to come out with another 36. Uh, you know, but they would have been very hard pressed to find more stars, especially right. professionals. But I mean, you know, uh, you know, who would have made? the next series. I mean, you have one through 36. I mean, it, you know, half these players were flashes in the pan. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot right. of Hall of Framers in here, obviously, but, you know, uh, they also misspelled quite a bit. I think there's three misspellings, but, uh, yeah, it's pretty, yeah pretty, who, who would have been the next, number 37 through 240? You know, what yeah, do you so think? 30, 30, well, I would have to say Green's uh, you know, without a doubt, if they want some Easily. some uh, star star draw, and you know, after that, it to me, it's going to be mostly college players. You know, that's that's the way I look at it because there were there really weren't that many. You know, unless you really study football history, you really didn't, yep. you really don't don't know the players on the rosters of the mid thirties in football. Um, you know, for example, if you look at the three Packer players. They're they're not overly well known as far yep. as uh, you know. To unless you're a hardcore Packer fan, you don't you don't even realize these guys played on the team type of thing. So I don't you know I really don't have I don't have good examples of who I would actually use at that time, with the exception of Grange and uh, maybe some some earlier stars of of the late twenties, early thirties. Yep. And you know, bringing them on and. and you know, trying to try to fall on. I don't know. Correct me if I'm wrong. What? Who? Who? Who have you come up with, if anybody? Because well, I, I'm hard to uh, spe- you know. 
when John Spano and I did an article on the 35 Chickle set years ago for Gridiron Greats, a couple of the people that I chose, uh, number one, Don Hudson. Right. Uh, right. You know, you know, would have been there. He was, he was playing at the time, just barely. But, uh, you know, Don Hudson, you know, Packer, great. Uh, Johnny Blood, you know, would have probably made it. Yeah. Uh, And exactly what you said, Red Grange, likely. Uh, you know, and at some point they would have had to take the, you know, uh, almost like you mentioned, they would have had to have taken the, you know, the, uh, uh, you know, the 55 tops all American, uh, you know, stance where they're, you know, where they would, you know, where they, you know, go back for college players, I think, but yeah, Don Hudson. I, and for that article, I, I had a friend of mine who, you know, is, uh, you know, a designer I had, him create what that what those 35 chickles would have looked like so if you go back to that gridiron great uh you know magazine you'll see what my you know fictitious you know what my fictitious johnny blood mcnally and uh don hudson card would have looked like i'm looking at them right now it's pretty good i made them both psa 8 uh i didn't change the cert number so if you look that cert number up i'm it'll be something else but uh but (laughs) looking at it they turned out pretty good i use the all-american you know the very well-known photo of it i'll uh, I'll, I'll share those with you later but i loved it but a, uh, a another, very tough another setting one, oh another uh, college another college player you could have thrown out although well past his playing time i'll be boost um you know from yale um, I'm going through my 55 All-American set, looking at it right now, trying to try to see if I can come up with yeah. some people. Uh, you but, still have the four horsemen as individual as an individual card, uh, <laughs> or you could do four separate cards of them and try to um, try to stretch it out that way. There, there's really, yeah. you know, you're really you're really pulling for stuff here. You know, that's what it comes down to. But, Really interesting. Uh, how about uh, Alonzo Stagg, oh, head coach? Wow. Another one. Good point. So uh, you're really pushing one way or the other. And, uh, again, it's a classic situation where, you know, we can we could surmise anything we want. We still will not, well, you know, unfortunately, unless we find somebody who's actually there, and or descendant of, and they have some paperwork on it. We'll never know the real yeah. reason what happened. I yeah. think the big reason or, why, or how it was issued. I really want to see a sheet. Is it's kind of like with the fifty-seven tops. People thought it was issued in two series, and once you look at the sheet, you realize it wasn't issued in two series. <clears throat> Just uh, anything over number one ten in the fifty-seven tops was a single print, <clears throat> where the other stuff was double print. Excuse me. Um, and this is the same way. You begin to think this was, you know, issued like one through twenty-four were were were, were double prints on the card, and then twenty-five right. up were right. singles. Because you can literally right. draw a right. Maginot line after Clark Hinkle, number twenty-four. Clark Hinkle right. is a pot right. eighteen in PSA eight, and then you cross over into what I call the second series or second one-third, <clears throat> and Dale Burnett is a PSA eight. Or uh, is a pop eight in PSA eight? There's okay. I mean, uh, I mean, you know, Dutch Clark is a pop nineteen 
uh, the, the rarest card in 1 through 24 is uh, Ed Matizic, which is a pop nine. Uh, the Bert, lone Bert. PSA 10 in this is card number eight, Jim's Intel. Imagine what a PSA 10 35 chickle looks like. That's pretty cool. But Cliff Battles, yeah. pop 29 in PSA 8. Uh, Phil Sorbo, pop 28 in PSA 8. Tom Jones, pop 32. Mike Mukilak, pop 31. These are these are very in, in high quality, you know, you know, in the 20s and 30s. And then you cross into right, card right. number 25. You've got one through 24, and then you've got you know 25 to 36. Uh, you know, the second third, and it's pop eight, pop 10. The Boltosi card, which is the rarest card, card number 27, is a pop five. In, uh, in a PSA 8, and for the longest time was a pop 4. So somebody just got a fifth PSA 8 in there. Uh, yeah. You know, you, uh, I mean, I mean, we don't have to go very far down, even the Nagurski. The, you know, the Nagurski, there are six PSA 8s, and it's been six PSA 8s for the last decade. Uh, right. You know, yeah, just, it's, I mean, I would love, I get the feeling the sheet was, you know, one through 24, and then 25 to, to 36. So the, you know, so you had, you know, the two thirds of the sheet were double prints, you know, you know, right. and right. then the third of the sheet was whatever. And that's it. But I mean, I, I, that's why I want to. I love these mysteries, and that's why I want to see a sheet. So I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah. But to well, me, we, uh, we, to me, I remember. Was, I remember. I remember one show we were talking about. I, I speculated. I'm looking back at my notes now. I speculated, do you think they put on on the sheet itself the 1 to 24 and then put cards from some other non-sports set or, or whatever on the same sheet? Would have that been possible? Who knows? You know, yeah. that's another thing that, they, that could have happened. They had a, yeah. they had a non-sports set that they needed a, a final series on or whatever, and they threw it on the sheet, or they mixed it up on the sheet, one or the that's other. possible. And we know it was we know it was printed in various runs because there are four variations to the Eddie Casey signature on the back. Uh, right. So yeah, I mean, so they they changed the print type on it four times. So you you had your various print runs and the the four variations. Uh, uh, Doug Spanning, um, who I used to talk to a lot, did a really in depth write up on this, and he came up with the four variations, which is uh, right. Right. Eddie Casey's signature centered. Eddie Casey's signature at right with his credentials below. Eddie Casey's signature at right with no credentials. Casey's signature at right, no copyright information at the bottom card. Uh, and uh, there, there, so there's at least four print runs that they did on this. And then he went on to further state, and I remember him doing this research in like 2007, 2008. I'm like, oh my gosh. Because uh, on the CU boards, you know, he was like, can everybody send me pictures of what the back of their cards look like? And I was like, this is pretty cool. I, 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 re- yeah. I really tip my hat to people who dig into sets like this. But he went on to say, um, each card in the low series, 1 through 24, uh, appeared to exist with two of the four veiled backs. Each card in the high number, 25 through 36, appears to only exist with back number one. And the first 24 right. cards, right. all but 13 and 21, have back one. And the first 24 cards, all about 15, 16, 19, 20, 23, have back two. And, and he goes on. I mean, that kind of reinforces how the sheet was laid out, one through 24. I'd love to contact Near Mint Mike 
you know, Mike Thomas and mask him. That's the one sheet yeah. he doesn't have. Uh, you know, uh, you know uh, what it would have looked like. And the only reason is there are there are no miscuts of this card. You know right, how I right, how I built right. what the forty eight leaf set sheet looked like was by looking at miscut cards and going, oh, there's the adjacent card, and you begin to you know kind of right. extrapolate the information. Right. For right. years, right. I was looking for miscut thirty five chickle cards. You know, and uh, yeah. never they're they're not grossly miscut enough where you can see the adjacent card, which is a shame. I'd love it, but right. so we know four right. print runs. We know that uh, it was you know one through twenty four are probably double print, and twenty five through thirty six are single print. So how they're laid out on the sheet is not not known, but um, you know I would imagine they were printed like I said the same way the fifty seven tops was. But we will never know until that unicorn thirty five chickle uncut sheet appears in a <laughs> you know you know. You know, whatever I hope, you know, hopefully it's one of the good options houses, not well, something with a confusing, you know, setup like Hunt. Uh, go back to two things that uh, you mentioned before the Tossy card. <clears throat> I'm looking back in my notes. I never saw one in person, believe it or not. There might have been, oh, at, okay. there might have been, I might have been the card at, at um, one of the nationals. However, I didn't, I never got to see it. Okay, so that's number one. Number two, I did not actually see my first high number of the Chickle Show wow. until a show in 1996. Now, that's not saying I saw ads for them and stuff like that, but actually seeing one with a high number on it was not until a show in 1996, a local show in Connecticut where a guy had a few Chickles there. I did not buy the the high number because I thought it was too expensive. I don't I don't know what it, what he was charging, but he did have a couple low numbers in lesser condition. I know I picked them up from him. So that's just telling you the rarity of yeah. That. And again, it also and I know we talked about this in the past too. I talked about this for years. How many card number twenty five to thirty six are actually still in existence today? Is it again? We go you know we go. We go around in a circle. Is it over 100? Is it under 100? Is it over 50? Is it under 50? Is it completely obscure that there's maybe 20 of them, 25? We don't know, you know, because we don't know how many raw cards are out there, and we don't know how many cards are hidden in collections we'll never hear about until the collector passes or whatever type of thing. So it's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's a great – it's really a great set. From a historical point of view, from an investigative point of view, from a from a wondering point of view, to collect and put together, and again, the demand for it is very very high in my opinion, because there are a lot of advanced collectors and advanced uh, card collectors who collect, let's say, pre-war, pre-World War II stuff, and they collect baseball, they collect anything, they, they're putting pressure on it. The hardcore football collector, the advanced football collector is putting pressure on it. The individual team player and um, the individual college player collector is putting pressure on it. So it's almost like a perfect storm for this set. Um, and yep. it's always, in my opinion, it's always been a perfect storm for the set. It, it's a, it's a yep. great set to collect. And, you know, in a way, I feel bad I started and stopped it so many times because I, I, I'm really of the belief at this stage of my collecting 
I would be down to the Nagurski and probably one or two, and probably the, the Chaucer herd. <laughs> I'm, I'm dozy, yeah. because I, 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 I know I would have put together one to 24. I've, I've owned the Rockney a couple of times. Uh, I owned it one time in an SGC uh, graded one. I owned the raw one one time. Uh, so I know I would have had one to 24 completed. I know I would have had some of the high numbers. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a cool just, set. Just I, to, really, I really enjoy it. Just, yeah. just to dig down a little bit on your uh, population you know, question. I, uh, I have taken notes on that. There have been a total of uh, 6,279 35 Chico cards graded. In comparison, okay. there have been nearly triple that of 48 Leaf, 14,753. So they are rarer than their next football counterpart by a third, uh, the 48 Leaf. And the swap of grading uh, of this is pretty cool. Of the 6279, there's been one PSA 10, which was, I said, to Phil Sorbo, 83 PSA 9s. Right. One of those are the NAGs, 602 PSA 8s. So slightly less than 10% of these cards are PSA, which, you know, for a you know for an 85-year-old set seems unreasonable to me. 825 mm-hmm. PSA 7s, 975-6s, 983-5, 1,075-4s, 657 35962 421 PSA ones. So you see the you see the belly. Uh, over half of the cards uh, that have been graded are PSA four, five, and six, which makes sense. That yep. should be where they yep. are. Yep. Um, yeah, which is. Yep. I what about that? And what I got to say this: in looking at in looking at and collecting the raw card over the years. My best ungraded card was back. There was the original Ken Strong card I bought back in 1988, and that's one card. At the end, I kept that card um, when I, you know, when I was selling them off. That was the one card I kept from each transition from collecting set one to two to three. Um, I I always thought about just holding on to that card, but then I said, Nah, let me. Yeah. I just wanted to get rid of them, and that was it. Yeah. But uh, I kicked myself uh, that one. That's the one. That's the one, the original one. I should have, I should have saved the, of any of them. Um, but again, it, you know, and, and you could really appreciate the history of it. You appreciate the beauty of the printing of it for that time period. Yeah. And you can appreciate the incredible scarcity of that set, whether it's graded or whether it's raw. I mean, it's uh, yep. it's great. It's a great set. Quick note, I just noticed. You don't have. I mentioned there are six. You don't 6, have. Six thousand two hundred seventy-nine grid. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Bob. No, I was just going to say, you, you don't have any uh, pop reports for SGC, right? We don't know how many are that, that no, could be graded by them. Yeah, that's a good point. But and I, I mentioned I, there are 6,200. Go ahead. I wouldn't, I wouldn't doubt um, there was probably only a couple hundred if at most of uh, SGC yeah. graded. I could be, could be completely wrong. Good point. But, yeah, I didn't bother with that. I apologize, but... I mentioned there are 6,279 total graded, of which 602 are at PSA 8, uh, which is nearly 10%. And I just noticed in the 48 leaf, there are 14,753, of which 905 are at PSA 8 in the 48 leaf, which is less than 5%. So I mean, 10% of the 35 chickles are PSA 8, 5% 
or right around 5 or 6% of 48 leaves are PSA. But we, you know, you know, but I wrote an article on the doctoring of the 48 leaf set because I, it seems so sure. prolific to me. And yet as percentage of overall graded, that's pretty interesting. Right. right. Huh. That's a good point. That's a really good point. And again, yeah, and you know, the, yeah. because, because they've been doctored so much, you know, what is legit and what's not. 35 trickle, as far as I'm concerned, is a very legitimate set in the conditions that, that they've graded because I don't think a lot of them were tampered with. I really don't believe, you know, I really don't believe that maybe 1% were tampered with or at the most. I don't know. I could be completely wrong, but yeah. it, it's a set well, where seen, we find it in, in we've seen uh, quite a few of the grandfather's thin borders. PSA, yeah. the sole PSA 9, uh, 35 Chickle, which we just discovered was owned, is owned by uh God, who is the, the the baseball owner? You know the the, the baseball team owner, the uh, the diamonds, the Diamondbacks. Anyways, um, just oh, okay. he owned it. But um, but we we do. I mean, we just commented when the PSA eight point five sold three years ago. I put a comparison up of the PSA eight point five and the nine. Pretty obvious. The nine has some thin borders. So. I would imagine yeah. the quality control yeah. PSA wasn't as good as it was now, you know, back then. So you get a couple, right. a couple cards slipped through the five hole. But I um, just wanted to get into these are this set is is one of my favorites because these are little pieces of artwork, and the Nagurski obviously is my favorite just because of the star power. But number two is oddly enough the Ernie Cadell card. Um, I'm not sure if you're mm-hmm. familiar with it, but he is holding the football, running right out to you, uh, football tucked yep. under his arm, head down, eyes glazing forward. I'm looking at it right now. And, and behind him is a Pittsburgh uh, player laying on the ground next to a blocker. It's just – it's a good card. Yep. I don't know who Ernie Cadell is. I've never looked him up, but this card to me is what football's about. He is – it's an action photo. He's running right at you. He's going to – He's about to bounce right out of the card, and I dig it. Uh, sure. Nice card. Real know. nice card. Yeah. The others are – All right, we're running, out of, we're running out of time. We got about a minute and a half. I just want to mention again, if you're not a subscriber to Gridiron Greats Magazine, what are you waiting for? Check Wait. out our website, gridirongreatsmagazine.com. All right, Joe, let's wrap it up. We got 40, 40 seconds to wrap things up. Oh, great. Uh, great to talk to you again. And, uh, and thanks for picking this topic. I love this set, and I love to talk about it. And I just, yeah, I, I really enjoy it. I think I think it's significant to see for auction. It brought back a lot of memories. Uh, it was yeah. a nice auction to watch. Uh, I'm really hoping who won it is a collector, and he or she was, you know, working their collection for it, and it's a key for them or it's a, it's a good type card for their collection. That's what I'm hoping. I just hope it's not going to, you know, like you said, be skeptical about it. Get it pop, yeah. you know, pop it out, you know, wash it up and see if you get a two or three out of it. I don't think that's going to happen. I'm, I'm optimistic it's yeah. not. Uh, all right. Yeah. We are literally out of time. Um, Joe, good talking. And, again, anybody has that uncut sheet or knows of it, please let us know. <laughs> A historical piece, a, a historical piece of football history. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back soon with another show. Take care.
Hey there, sports history fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Do you wish you knew more about the 100 seasons of the NFL? You're in luck because you found the Football History Dude Podcast, where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the NFL. From the founding of the league in an auto showroom, all the way to what it is today, America's favorite sport and a behemoth of an industry. My name is Ernie Chapman. Football is my passion, and I want you to come along with me each week to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron. So hop on board, my DeLorean, and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.